Welcoming us this morning. Thanks for that great singing. This is our fourth and final Advent Sunday leading up to Christmas 2019. The common thread that Wayne has written into our Advent readings this year has been worship. In week one, Mary worshiped God by submitting to his plans and purposes for her life. At great cost, I might add. But whenever we respond with your kingdom come, your will be done on earth in my life as it is in heaven, that's worship. Next, the angels at Jesus' birth announcement in Luke chapter 2. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is well pleased. Likewise, we too worship God when we sing songs of praise and we verbally acknowledge who he is and what he has done, is doing, and we will do. Last week, we considered the shepherds who worshiped God by sharing the good news of great joy for all people. Anyone, with anyone and everyone who would take the time to listen. Their message was simple. Today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Evangelism. Whenever we proclaim the gospel, we are worshiping God. This morning we want to turn to Matthew chapter 2. I'd invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 2. This morning we are going to be focusing on a story within the story of Matthew's biographical account of the life and ministry of Jesus. My copy of the scriptures, it's titled, The Visit of the Magi. This pericope or episode or story within the story will help us to become the, worship, the kind of worshipers that God is seeking. So let me read the story as presented by Matthew, and then we'll come back and look through the details of the story, paying attention to the details, and noticing how the story develops. And in the end, decide what that story or what this story means for you and I today. So if you're able, please stand with me for the reading from God's Word. I'll begin reading at verse 1 of Matthew chapter 2 and read down through to the end of verse 12. So beginning at verse 1 of Matthew chapter 2. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, 
For this is what has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will, be, who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. When you have found him, report to me, so that I too may come and worship him. After hearing the king, they, they went their way. And the star, which they had seen in the east, went on before them and until, until it came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. After coming to the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Father, this is your story, a story that began as a result of your initiative, exercised when you sent your one and only Son. The Word was with God and the Word was God, but then the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He was called Emmanuel, which means God with us. So rather than hanging on for dear life to equality with God, he emptied himself, was made in the likeness of man. And not just a man, but a baby, wrapped in cloth and laid in a manger. Jesus, God dressed in human flesh. Israel's long-awaited Messiah, Christ the Lord. Father, may our familiarity with the contents of this story not prevent us from hearing the message of this gracious and supernatural initiative. May each one of us take it personally and respond appropriately to the truth about Christmas. A good news message of great joy, which will be for all the people. Namely, that in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. As we ponder this truth about Christmas, may it transform our celebrations into a most meaningful and memorable, worship-filled encounter with you. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. You've probably seen the common bumper sticker or sign that says, wise men still seek him. Well, this story begins with magi arriving in the city of Jerusalem, seeking to worship, and I'm quoting now, he who has been born king of the Jews. 
Notice verse 1 informs us that the Magi arrive after Jesus has been born. Hours after? Days? Weeks? Months? Years? We're not told. Most of our modern nativity scenes would seem to suggest that the Magi just, they arrived shortly after the shepherds who were out in the fields nearby when that angel appeared and announced the birth of Jesus. But notice verse 11. After coming to the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother. They fell to the ground and worshipped him. Jesus and Mary, although still in Bethlehem, are now in a house, not in a stable because the inn was too full. And Jesus is referred to as a child, a paideon, in both verse 9 and 11, rather than a newborn infant, as he was in Luke chapter 2, verse 12. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby, a brephos, wrapped in clothes, cloths, and lying in a manger. So the Magi clearly arrived sometime after Jesus was born, and probably not on the night he was born. We have a nativity scene at home. I think we bought that at Costco a number of years ago, ceramic, it's rather large. And on the buffet in our, beside our dining room table, we have the nativity scene set up. And the shepherds are there, and the lambs and the cow and the baby Jesus in the manger. But we've intentionally set the magi off on the kitchen counter, away from the... The unfortunate part is they're coming from the west and not from the east, but the point has been made. Who are these magi? Some of our English translations refer to the, or translate the word as wise men. The Greek words used here and translated magi was a label that covered a wide range of individuals who had developed an interest in things like dreams, Astrology, magic, books that had included references, mysterious references that seemed to indicate things yet future. These magi may have skimmed the front page reading the headlines of the Jerusalem Post, but they were turning very quickly to the horoscope page. That's the kind of people they were. When you read magi, think magic. These magi were preoccupied with all things mystical. Now, some of these magi were on a serious quest to find the truth. But, as you can imagine, there were many more who were frauds, con artists, charlatans. But this group, here in Matthew chapter 2, appeared to have been the former. They were on a serious search that brought them to the epicenter of Judaism, 
home of the temple, the holy city of Jerusalem. And notice they came from the east. How far east? Well, it doesn't say. We have no idea. Matthew does not provide any more information than they came from east of Jerusalem. Some have suggested as far east as Babylon. Well, apparently, Babylon in, first cent in the first century was kind of a hotbed for the study of astrology and astronomy. Listen to these verses that I read from Daniel chapter 4. You'll remember that Daniel was one of those original exiles that was transported from Jerusalem to Babylon following the fall of Jerusalem in 586. Only the best and brightest were taken, and Daniel was part of that group. So in Daniel chapter 2, verse 48, we read, Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts, and he made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon, and, listen to this, chief prefect over all the wise men, the magi of Babylon. These magi were highly respected, well-educated, and actually advisors to the king of Babylon. A couple of chapters later in Daniel chapter 4, verse 9, it reads, I said to him, and this is King Nebuchadnezzar speaking to Daniel, I said to him, Belteshazzar, that's the name that the Babylonians had given to Daniel, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, chief of the magi. I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and that no mystery is too great for you to solve. Now tell me what my dream means. So here we have Daniel himself was considered to be the chief or the lead dog of all the magi of Babylon. Perhaps these magi of Babylon were like the scribes and Pharisees in Jerusalem. They were to Babylonians what those scribes and Pharisees were to the Jews. They were considered to be among the best and brightest of the day. Last week, it was shepherds. God first announced Jesus' birth, the birth of a Savior who is Christ the Lord, to shepherds who were nearby, watching over their flocks by night. Shepherds were Jews, but they were definitely outsiders. We talked about that last week. Social outcasts, marginalized people. They may have been Jews, but they were banned from any Jewish spiritual activities because of their profession. The ceremonial law declared them to be unclean, and perhaps they were even despised by the general population. And now here in Matthew chapter 2, we find God engaging with 
magi or wise men, revealing to them this good news of great joy for all the people. They're at the opposite end of the continuum. Gentiles, who were considered wise men, highly respected academics, advisors to foreign and pagan kings, arriving from an undisclosed place east of Jerusalem. Can you see the significance of the contrast? It doesn't matter where you're coming from, where you are presently, or where you think you might be going. God engages with people across the spectrum from the highest to the lowest, from the most extroverted to the most introverted, from the richest to the poorest, from the most powerful to the weakest and most vulnerable. Doesn't matter how society might label you, God can open your eyes to spiritual realities and enable you to respond appropriately to his demonstration of love. Beloved, that is truly good news of great joy for all people, you and me included. We three kings of Orient are, bearing gifts we travel afar, field and fountain, moor and mountain, following yonder star. O oh, star of wonder, star of might, star with royal beauty bright, westward leading, still proceeding, guide us to thy perfect light. Very familiar, popular Christmas carol, but it also misrepresents Matthew's account. Nowhere in all of scripture does it limit the number of magi to just three? You see, there, later we are told they came bearing three kinds of gifts, but that no way proves that there were only three magi involved. In fact, most biblical scholars suggest it would have been a much larger group that showed up in Jerusalem that day, dressed in the regalia of wise men who were coming to worship the one who was born king of the Jews, well, they would not have escaped the attention of the citizens of Jerusalem. Nor were they looking to. These magi seem to have a boldness that is not uncharacteristic of those who had become accustomed to commanding the respect of others. Their question and disclosure of their purpose is presented as being straightforward and direct. Look at verse 2. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw a star in the east and have come to worship him. Notice it is he who has been born king of the Jews. Does that seem strange to you? To refer to a baby being born as a king? Usually, children are groomed, first as princes, and then 
they become king. But in Jesus' case, and I quote, his kingly status was not conferred on him. He is a king from birth. And this is consistent with Matthew's presentation of the life and ministry of Jesus. All four gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, have their own unique perspective. As they sat down to write, they had a target audience in mind. Matthew's target audience is clearly the Jews. Jews would have been very familiar with the Old Testament. Matthew's account presents Jesus as Israel's Messiah, the King of the Jews. And these magi were used by Matthew to introduce Jesus very early in his account as the king of the Jews. Interestingly enough, this title for Jesus is not used again in the book of Matthew until Matthew chapter 27, verse 11. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor questioned him, saying, Are you king of the Jews? And Jesus said, it is as you say. Verse 27 of the same chapter. And after twisting together a crown of thrones, a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his hand. And they knelt down before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And then in verse 37, when Jesus had been crucified, and above his head, they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, King of the Jews. But here in the second chapter of Matthew, we have the Magi seeking to worship he who is born King of the Jews. And it wasn't an angel sent by God with a verbal announcement that brought them to Jerusalem. Rather, God communicated with these ancient astrologers through a star. Having seen what they saw, they came to Jerusalem. Like the shepherds, having heard what they heard, went to Bethlehem and found the baby wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. These magi, having seen what they saw, came to Jerusalem and found something very different. Rather than joining in the celebration of a newborn king, the Magi's arrival in Jerusalem caused, and I quote, trouble. Look at verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. The Greek word translated trouble carries the meaning to be disturbed, to be stirred up, agitated, to cause distress. Think about where you might have seen that. Think about how the Democrats react to President Trump. That's being troubled. That's what tr being troubled looks like. 
in a similar way, Herod and all the residents of Jerusalem are stirred up, but for very different reasons. Herod was obviously troubled with the possibility of being replaced. This was a potential threat to his kingship. You see, Herod was an imposter king, as Nancy Pelosi might suggest. Herod had become a king by public, by a political appointment. Listen to this description from a historian. Herod the Great, as he is now called, was born in 73 BC and was named King of Judea by the Roman Senate in 40 BC. By 37 BC, just three years later, he had crushed, with the help of the Roman forces, all opposition to his rule. He's now in complete control. He was wealthy, politically gifted, intensely loyal, an excellent administrator, and clever enough to remain in the good graces of successive Roman emperors. In other words, he was a political animal. His famine relief was superb, and his building projects, including the temple in Jerusalem, begun in 20 BC, was admired even by his foes. But he loved power, inflicted incredibly high taxes on the people, and represented the fact that many Jews considered him a usurper. The Jews hated him. Another wrote, Herod was constantly on guard against threats to his rule, especially from his own family. He assassinated many of his own family members, whom he suspected of disloyalty. His being troubled is completely in character. Herod, who wanted to be accepted by the Jews whom he ruled, was not a Jew at all, but he was an Edomite, a descendant of Esau. So apparently, Herod was well acquainted with the Jews' hatred of him, and yet he longed for them to love him. They hated him, and they feared, and he feared that when he died, that there would be a great celebration rather than grieving in Jerusalem. So this is what he's reported to have said. Nobody will mourn when I die. So collect all the finest people in the land of Israel, all the finest people in the city of Jerusalem. Get them all together, and the moment I die, kill them all, so that there will be mourning in the city when I die. That's the kind of man that Herod was. This was a king who had a very dark side, especially when it came to protecting his power and control. So when Herod was troubled, the citizens of Jerusalem were troubled, knowing that what this tyrant was capable of when he felt threatened by those around him. He was unpredictable, and he was a tyrant who would make their lives unbearable if he felt he was losing control and power. The Magi, I'm sure, were excited when they arrived in Jerusalem. Unintentionally and 
perhaps unaware that they had set the entire city on edge. And at this point of this, in the story, God provides some additional direction for the Magi. We discover three sources that God uses to provide this direction in verses 4 through 9. Gathering together all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he, that's Herod, inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. And when you have found him, report to me so that I too may come and worship him. After hearing the king, they went their way and the star, which they had seen in the east, went before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. God provided additional direction through, number one, a troubled king. Secondly, through his written prophetic word. Oh, 500 years earlier, Micah the prophet penned these words that the Jews the scribes and Pharisees referred to. And then thirdly, through a supernatural sign, the star reappeared. You know, beloved, God still directs your and my steps even today. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9 says that the mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. For believers, God's primary means for directing our steps is through his written revelation, the Bible. It is an objective, authoritative, inspired, inerrant, and sufficient word of God. You and I have unprecedented access to it. We are without excuse. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 reads, All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that, purpose statement, so that the man and woman of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. And God supplements his word by using other people, and even circumstances to direct our steps. God's additional and timely direction ensured the Magi that they reached their destination so that in the end, the Magi found and worshiped Jesus with gifts fit for a king and then experienced God's approval. Mission impossible became mission accomplished. Look at verse 11. After coming into the house, 
They saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they presented him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And I read verse 12 as God's approval of their worship. You notice verse 12, and having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 reads, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God. I think God's redirection of these Magi on their return trip home was affirmation the reward of acceptable worship. But the verse continues, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, his good and acceptable and perfect will. Surely, these worshiping magi proved what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So as we come to the end of this story, this story within the story of Jesus' life, what in your opinion is the main message of this story? When it comes to narrative literature, you have a choice. The, the writer of the story has written it so that you will identify with one of the characters in the story and learn something from that character's experience. Or, by getting, he will describe a, a life situation and then he's calling for us to respond to that. And in this case, I think the latter is better. We get to... The story describes a, a piece of life as it really is. And it's calling us to respond to it. Here's the message. God seeks those who will come seeking to worship Jesus as king. God seeks those who will come seeking to worship Jesus as king. So I thought about this story in Matthew's account, the life and ministry of Jesus. My, back, my mind went back to a, another passage of scripture that we studied in the gospel according to John. Turn with me for a moment to John chapter 4. John chapter 4, you'll remember that Jesus making his way back to the province of Galilee, from the province of Judea, and he decides to go through Samaria. And in Samaria, he stops at a well, exhausted. His disciples go into town, and he's left, and a woman approaches him, and he engages her in conversation. But the verse that I'd like us to look at is verse 23. 
John chapter 4, verse 23. And they've been talking about worshiping in Samaria or going all the way to Jerusalem and worshiping there. And Jesus just cuts to the chase in verse 23. He says, the hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. He's saying it's not a matter of geography, but in spirit and truth. Now look at the next phrase. For such people, people who worship in spirit and truth, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. Will you worship Jesus as king? We're not talking about a democracy here. We're talking about a kingship. Jesus was saying to them all in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. That's what it takes to worship Jesus as king. Self-denial, surrender, sacrifice, and following him. Beloved, that's so easy to say and so difficult to do. And like the Magi, the first step in the journey to worshiping King Jesus is a step of faith. Believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. That he died for our sins, according to the scriptures. That he was buried. And that he rose from the dead on the third day, according to the scriptures. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. And then in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, it states it clearly. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Embrace this good news of great joy for all the people. Announced by the shepherds, a Savior has been born. And then followed the Magi's example. Fall on the ground and worship Jesus. Surrender the leadership of your life to his lordship. Ask him to lead, to direct your steps. Ask him to help you to deny yourself, to take up your cross daily and follow him. If you will do that, Jesus said, he who hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death into life. John chapter 5, verse 24. That's eternal life, both now and forever. Let me wrap up with three implications from this story and an invitation. Implication number one, those who are seeking to preserve their own control and power are incapable of worshiping Jesus as king. If you want to be in control of your life, if you want to call the shots, 
you are incapable of worshiping Jesus as king. Romans chapter 1 verse 18 reads, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. King Herod was a truth suppressor. He wanted to preserve his control and power. And even though he verbally said that he wanted to worship the king, there's no way. He's incapable of worshiping Jesus as king. Implication number two. You can possess the truth and yet still have no interest in worshiping him. That, my friends, is scary. Matthew chapter 13 Verses 3 and 9, 18 to 23. Also parallel passage found in Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 4, and Luke chapter 9. Those references are on the handout that you received when you came in. You may want to look at those. There are four different responses to hearing the word of God. The chief priests and scribes, the Jewish religious leaders of the day, they displayed no interest and seeking to worship Jesus. They identified the place where the Magi could find them based on Micah's prophecy. They knew it. They turned to it instantly when Herod asked. And yet, when the Magi were sent to Bethlehem, they had no interest in following or investigating for themselves. They displayed no interest in seeking to worship. He who was born king of the Jews. Amazing. Implication number three. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But with God, all things become possible. That was the Magi's testimony as they left Bethlehem, Bethlehem that day and returned home by another way. We began our service this morning with a song entitled, Angels from the Realms of Glory. The third verse, we sang verses 1 and 2, I believe. The third verse reads, Sages, that's wise men, or magi, leave your contemplations, brighter visions beam afar, seek the great desire of nations, ye have seen his natal star. Come and worship. Come and worship. Worship Christ, the newborn king. That invitation still stands. And wise men and women still come to worship him, he who has been born king of the Jews. Let's pray. Father, you are worthy of our worship. In the words of the angels, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Father, open our eyes. Give us ears that hear and, and hearts that are responsive to your words. In the midst of all of our Christmas celebrations, may we catch a fresh glimpse of your initiatives to restore our broken relationship with you. And then help us to respond appropriately 
to your demonstrations of love for us. Jesus humbled himself. Although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God something to be grasped, clothed himself in human flesh, became an infant and dwelt, dwelt among us. May the truth of Christmas comfort us, humble us, compel us, and inspire us to come. Come. Come and worship King Jesus. To come offering ourselves as living and holy sacrifices acceptable to you which becomes our spiritual service of worship. In Jesus' name we ask, amen.